Good morning, everybody. We're so glad that you decided to join us on this snowy morning. So I guess the predictions were true. We have experienced a lot of snow, and so we have made the decision to cancel our in-person services. But we are so glad that you decided to jump on our live stream, either on Facebook or YouTube or our church online platform, so that we can continue to worship together as one church here in Denver, in our homes, throughout the United States, and even some people that are joining us around the world. Uh, my name is Sawyer Trapp. I'm our associate pastor here, and I am so glad that you decided to join us this morning. As you saw in those awesome videos of worship from our worship night last Friday, this past Friday, it was an amazing time of worship to God. If you did get the chance to join us here in person, you know how powerful and awesome that time was to gather together and declare that Denver, we're making Denver more like heaven through our worship, through our prayers, through poetry. And so I'm so glad that we had the opportunity to do that with, with Chase and Jason on board. And you just heard about the excitement of our new kids director, Ashley Deeds, coming on board as well. That is an exciting time here at Arise Church Denver, that God has big plans for this community and through Northeast Denver. If you are new to our church, I'm so glad that you decided to jump on our stream this morning. We would love to get to know you better, help get you plugged into our church Easiest way to do that is if you go down to the link in the description, you say, I'm new, arisedenver.com slash connect, fill out that short form, and we will reach out to you, help get you plugged into our church, and donate $5 to the Denver Rescue Mission to help those experiencing need in your name and in this community. Um, if you do call Arise Church home, it's so great to see you, whether you're watching this on your phone, your TV, your computer, however you're worshiping this morning, we're so glad that you decided to jump on the service. As we continue our Doomsday Preppers series, uh, Pastor Matt has been working through the beginning sections in Luke where Jesus starts to take a turn, starts to move from preaching to beginning to talk about his death, and the second coming, and the end of the world, that there's a notice change in the way Jesus begins to speak, and teach, and interact with people. And throughout this series, we've been ans answering some difficult questions about when the world will end, what we should do to prepare for it. And today we'll be jumping in to something that is so important when we talk about Jesus' second coming, and the end of the world, the kingdom of God. Throughout this series, you've seen graphics of, and we've ta been talking about a TV show called Doomsday Preppers, which was a show on National Geographic that followed people who had basically given their lives to the prediction that the world would end in a certain way. Maybe a zombie apocalypse or a loss of the electrical grid or a global pandemic, that they were so convinced that that was going to happen that they had given up everything that they had, their finances, any free time, their, their hobbies, any, their families often, and they had given all that up to funnel all of their energy, all of their money, all of their effort into preparing for what they consider is the inevitable doom. But as we see time and time again that these predictions don't come true. A zombie apocalypse hasn't happened the electrical grid is still alive and well, and even though we've experienced and are still living in a global pandemic, we now have a vaccine. We have multiple vaccines. There is an end in sight. 
And so predictions that we make, especially regarding to the end of the world, so often fail. And it's not just these big things, predictions that we have about even small things. When we get a text from our spouse asking when we're coming home from work, and we say, hey, we'll be there by 5, and then we get wrapped up in something, and it pushes to 5.30 or 6 or maybe even later. We have a prediction that maybe next year we'll be able to travel. The thing is, we had that same prediction in 2019, and we know how that happened. We make these predictions over and over again, and yet we fall short every time. And these predictions that we have are so evident in the predictions that we have about technology. If you've ever dived into some of the opinions that people have had about various technologies through the years and the impacts that they would have, we see them now as laughable. In 1876, the leader of the British post office, William Pierce, had this to say, that Americans have need of the telephone, but we don't. We have plenty of messenger boys, and we know how that has worked out. The messenger boys have gone by the wayside, and the telephone has revolutionized our communication throughout the world. And it's not just people in the 19th century. In the early 80s, Marty Cooper, the engineer and inventor, said that cell phones will absolutely not replace local wire systems. How many of us have gotten rid of our landlines and only use a cell phone now to communicate? But it's not even in the late 80s. In 2007, Steve Ballmer, the Microsoft CEO, said, there's no chance that the iPhone is going to get any significant market share. At that time, Windows was considering launching their Windows phone. And I don't know about you, but I don't think they're making Windows phones anymore. If you have a Windows phone, if you have a Microsoft phone, leave leave a comment. I want to know. But we see that any prediction that we make about technology, whether it's mail or the telephone or a particular cell phone, it all falls short. So our predictions fail. Our predictions don't live up. And yet we continue to guess. We continue to say that the world will end next year or the year after. We continue to think that we are the authority on what is going to happen in the future. And this morning, Jesus is going to run into some questions and answer some questions for us to show that we are not the authorities in the world, but that God is. And as much as we might want to believe that we have all things figured out, we don't. We fall short. We misunderstand We mess up. Because this morning we're diving into the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God, this overarching grand idea of God's plan of redemption being brought about from Jesus ushering it in all the way to the end. And if we were to understand, if we were to plan and prep for doomsday, for the end of the world, then we must also be ready for God's kingdom. We must seek to understand, not predicting ourselves, but looking at what God has to say, looking at what the Bible has to say. So this morning, we'll be jumping back into Luke 13, starting in verse 18. Now, if you're an astute person and you've been following along as we've been working in this section, you might have noticed that we've skipped a few verses. We skipped an entire section, actually, where Jesus has this encounter of healing this crippled woman. 
and has an interchange with some religious leaders about the Sabbath. Now, if you go to our 10,000 podcast that I released on this past Wednesday, you can hear me kind of talk and work through that passage and the implications of that for our 10,000 minutes. If you haven't uh, had a chance to listen to our podcast, easiest way to find it is if you go to risedenver.com media. You can find all of our podcast information. It is a great podcast, not just because I'm on it, because Matt's on it, because it actually helps bring God into your 10,000 minutes each and every week. You can find that on your favorite podcast platform, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, all the main ones we are on there as well. But this morning, we're going to jump into verse 18 as Jesus begins to explain a little about what the kingdom of God was like. And it starts off like this. Luke 13, verse 18. Then Jesus asked, what is the kingdom of God like? Shall I compare, what shall I compare it to? It's like a mustard seed which man took and planted in his garden, and it grew and became a tree, and the birds perched in his branches. So what is Jesus telling us about the kingdom? Jesus so often spoke in these short stories, these analogies, these parables that would speak truth, that would bring about what he was trying to say, but in a way that people could understand, in a way that people could approach. And so what Jesus is getting at in this passage is that the kingdom isn't going to be here in one second. It's not going to be like the kingdom of God is not here, and then the kingdom of God is here. Over and over again, Jesus uses the idea of a mustard seed. The mustard seed being this small, small seed. You could fit hundreds in the palm of your hand. And Jesus is saying that the kingdom is going to start off small. It's going to start off like this small mustard seed planted in the ground. But friends, it's not going to stay small. It's going to grow. It's going to grow exponentially to this huge tree where birds can find rest. This tree is big enough where birds can make nests. And Jesus, right off the bat, is going against a misunderstanding that people were having about the kingdom. Because the Jewish people thought that the kingdom of God was going to be an earthly kingdom. A political kingdom that the Messiah would come and usher in a revolution. That for hundreds of years at this point, the Jews had been waiting for a Messiah. That they had been taken over. They had gone through exile. They had risen to this point with the Maccabees where they were leading their own people. They had conquered and they had slowly fallen over and over again. And now, during the time of Jesus, they are taken over by the Romans not able to lead, not able to govern. And they were longing for a coming Messiah that would come and lead a political and military revolution that would overthrow the Romans. That one day, the Messiah would come and the Jews would once again be elevated to the leaders of that society. And what Jesus is saying in these first couple verses is that that is not what the kingdom of God is. It isn't here one day and completely takes over. No, it is small. It grows exponentially. It provides rest instead of war. It provides peace instead of revolution. The thing is, is that even if we look at the Old Testament, the things that God was saying about the coming Messiah 
We see how the Jews might misunderstand, but we see what God is doing through this. If we look at Micah chapter 5, verses 2 and 4, it says, But you, Bethlehem, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who is to be ruler over Israel, whose origins are of old from ancient times. And then verse 4, He will stand as a shepherd, uh, shepherding his flock in the strength of the Lord. In the majesty of the name of the Lord his God, and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth. And if you already have in your mindset that the Messiah was set to be this political overlord, set to free you from the bonds of an unruly government, you can read that verse in that light. But Jesus is saying that my kingdom is not set to be this political revolution, but a small band of disciples who are sent out to spread the good news through the ends of the earth. Yes, to the ends of the earth where everyone can experience God's goodness and love and justice. So right off the bat, Jesus is confounding his listeners' expectations. He's saying, this is what you expect the kingdom to be. My kingdom is going to be unexpected. And again, he continues with another parable. He says, what shall I compare the kingdom of God to? It is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it was all worked through the dough. Once again, yeast is this small microorganism that does an amazing thing. It turns sugar into carbon dioxide and alcohol, which causes bread to rise. It helps liquids ferment. It does this amazing thing. And yet it's so small. In a loaf of bread, even 60 pounds of bread, as Jesus says, you only need maybe a handful of yeast. And in the same way, Jesus is saying that the kingdom is not set to be this huge overthrow this political revolution of millions of people banding together to fight against injustice. Jesus is saying that it will be small, that his followers will be few, and yet they will change the world. Over and over again, Jesus confounds our expectations. His listeners are perplexed. They expect one thing and receive another. The messages of Jesus are curious. They perk up our ears. Jesus over and over again says that my kingdom is not set for this world. It is something so much bigger. In fact, in his interchange with Pilate, when he's being questioned, when he's been arrested, when he's been betrayed already, Pilate asked him, are you, are you overthrowing the government? Like, I've, I've heard these things. I've heard what the zealots, these Jewish leaders that wanted to rise up against the Romans were saying. And Jesus responds. He says, my kingdom is not an earthly kingdom. For if it were, my followers would fight to keep me being handed over to the Jewish leaders. But my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus over and over again leads us to the unexpected, 
the bigger, the grander. And it might be easy for us sitting here today in our homes to judge the Jews for so dramatically misunderstanding the kingdom, for thinking it was one of the earth and of politics and of governments and of revolution instead of a kingdom of the spirit, a kingdom of hope, a kingdom of peace, a kingdom of God's justice and rule. And as easy as it might be for us to condemn them, we fall into the same trap. We do. We dramatically misunderstand what the kingdom of God is. We limit it. We say through our own authority that this is what the kingdom of God is. We do this from a racial perspective. We do this ethnically. We do this culturally. We do this even politically. And this is on both sides of the aisle. Because any time we equate an earthly kingdom with the kingdom of God, we fall short. And so friends, this morning, if we're saying that the kingdom of God is a Christian takeover of the American government, then we are misunderstanding God's kingdom. And on the other side, if we're saying that the kingdom of God is just a rise of social justice, of equity and equality for all on this planet, in our world, even just in America, then that is not God's kingdom. Anytime we say that God's kingdom is just this segment of society, or just this segment of our culture, or just limited to those who worship like we do, or love like we do, or believe in the same gospel, the same exact understanding of the gospel, we limit what God is doing. Just as the Jewish people misunderstood, thought this political revolution was coming led by a Messiah on a white horse, Jesus shows up and is leaving a message of love and of justice, an unexpected message ushered in as he sits on a donkey, as people wave palm branches. Not a king entering into a military battle, but a servant riding on a donkey. And so this morning, as we sit in our homes, I want you to think about the ways that we often misunderstand God's kingdom. The ways that we think that this is the only place that God's kingdom touches. That God's kingdom is just limited to these people, but not to these people. Because the kingdom of God is so much bigger than we can comprehend. Jesus actually wraps up this section in verses 29 and 30 with the exact same idea. He says that people will come from the east and the west, the north and the south, and will take their places at the feast in the kingdom of God. Indeed, there are those, those who are last will be first, and first who will be last. Once again, Jesus confounds our expectations. The kingdom isn't meant for just one people group, as the Jews expected. They expected this homogeneous kingdom of those who claimed to be Jewish, who were part of Abraham's family. 
For generations had worshipped in a specific way. And we see even inklings of, in the words of Jesus that the gospel message was so much more than for Israel. As the word begins to be spread to the Gentiles. And we see the flourishing of that in the book of Acts. As Paul is sent out to basically all of Asia Minor to spread the good news with the Gentiles. With non-Jewish people. People like you and me. And so the the kingdom of God isn't just limited to one people group. And you know what? It's going to flip things on its head. The people who are powerful in our society, the leaders, the people who have worked hard, the people who have worked their way up the ladder, who are now in a position where they can tell others what to do in God's kingdom, it will no longer be about what we can do, but what God can do. The last, the servant of all, shall now be the first. And those who put themselves first will be last. Once again, Jesus confounds our expectations. And once again, it can be so easy to hear the words of Jesus and think that he was only speaking truth to the society that he was in. And he was doing that, but he's also speaking truth to us right now, this morning. Because whether we want to admit it or not, Whether we're intentional or more on a subconscious level, we do the same things. I do the same things, too. We think that the kingdom of God is going to look a certain way. That it's going to worship a certain way. That it's going to be this sort of culture. That it's going to be this sort of idea. That people who worship differently from us, who praise our Lord Jesus Christ in different ways than us, are somehow exempt People that worship different than us around the world or gather different than us or if their church doesn't look like the building that we gather in or if they don't have an online service or if they don't have cool lights or whatever it is. The kingdom of God isn't just going to look like you and me. It's going to look like the universal church gathered together, people from east and west, north and south, past, present and future Declaring in one voice that Jesus is Lord. And so that has implications not only for the future when Jesus comes back, but as we prepare right now, that we need to learn, we need to listen, we need to ask ourselves if the way that we worship, if the way that we gather on Sundays, if the things that we hold to or not hold to, are congruent with what God says is true in the Bible. We need to check our hearts. We need to see if we are even in a position of leadership, if we are honoring the people who work below us, our subordinates, our families, our friends. Because the kingdom is not about what we want. It is all about what God wants all about what God wants. And it is so easy for us to conflate our opinions, our biases, our prejudices, our even good rhythms of life with what the kingdom of God is. And it is so important for us to stop and reflect. So during this next song, As we sing about the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, Jesus Christ, I want you to listen to the words being sung to sing 
but also take some time to reflect, to think about the ways that we misunderstand the kingdom, the way that we limit God, the way that we make ourselves our own authority, and take some time to repent, to say, God, I fall into this trap. I take what I think is true and I equate it to what you say. God, forgive me. Not my will be done, but yours. So let us worship, reflect, and repent together. I hope that time of worship and reflection and repentance was a really positive experience for you. Because my, my aim this morning, Jesus' aim this morning, is, is not to make us depressed or sad or like, man, sorry, it's been a rough morning. Like, I couldn't even come to church and now you're just laying it on. Well, I, I'm not laying it on, Jesus is. But what Jesus is trying to do is he's trying to bring us to a better understanding of God's kingdom. Because our misunder, misunderstandings and misconceptions are so limiting to God's kingdom. God's kingdom is so much grander, so much greater, so much more redemptive than we can even comprehend. I don't know about you, but one of the things I miss is theme parks. Theme parks, yes. Now you might be saying that, wow, there's a lot of other things you can miss, but I love theme parks. I had a chance living in Arizona, being so close to California growing up, that we could drive in the car and be in Disneyland or, you know, that sort of Southern California area in about six, seven hours. And so for school trips or for band trips, we would go to theme parks. And growing up, a lot of our family vacations would go to Southern California. We would hit up a theme park, go to the beach, and then we could drive back home. But there's this unique thing about theme parks because If you spend more money, or if you have an app on your phone, or if you're a a pass holder, then you can be this VIP. You can experience the theme park in a brand new way. You have a special line to get on access to rides or to shows. You don't have to wait with the rest of the other people. At Disneyland, the fast pass system revolutionized going to Disneyland, that it no longer was just waiting in line, it was just managing your experience on your phone going to fast pass to fast pass. And if you ever wondered, one of the easiest ways to experience a VIP experience at a theme park is to injure yourself. Yes, to injure yourself. I'm being serious because beyond loving theme parks, I also have a propensity to injure myself in theme parks. Let's see, I have cracked open my chin in the shark enclosure at SeaWorld. I've tripped and fallen in a line at Disneyland and Knott's Berry Farm, and I've fallen down part of an escalator at Universal Studios Hollywood. And you're saying, why, Sawyer, are you sharing me this? How how, how does that get me from an injury to a VIP experience? Here's what happens. If you injure yourself severely enough that you need medical attention, but still enough to enjoy the park, here's what they do. They come up, make sure you're okay, give you a bandage, And then so that you don't sue them, they give you front-of-the-line passes. They give you free fast pass. They give you free cotton candy. So if you want to be a VIP at a theme park, I encourage you to injure yourself. Only slightly. Make it look real. Try to be, don't lie, but try to, you know, it's an easy way to be able to separate yourself out 
from the normal experience that people are having. Because we want VIP experiences. We want to be a very important person. We want to be special. We want to experience things that others aren't. And so Jesus, when asked this very important question by a person he he was around, he turns to this VIP experience idea. Jesus over and over again says, you know what question you're asking? I'm going to change it a little, but I also know your heart behind the question. Because what happens after Jesus tells these parables is Luke continues on telling what Jesus is teaching. It continues like this. Starting in verse 22. Then Jesus went through the towns and villages, teaching as he made his way to Jerusalem. And someone came up and asked him, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? So he's out teaching, he's out doing his regular, ordinary things. And this guy comes up to him and asks Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? And just like last week, when Jesus took the question about the Gentiles who had been killed in the temple or the the tower that had fallen on the people and they're all wondering about their sin, Jesus flips the question on his head and turns it back on the person who's asking. Because Jesus can see to the heart. What he's asking is, you know what, God, am I going to be special? Am I one of the people who's going to be saved? We want that VIP experience. And yet Jesus cuts right through it. And he says this. Make every effort to enter through the narrow door. Because many, I tell you, will try to enter and will not be able to. VIP experiences are only special because everybody doesn't have them. And Jesus takes that idea and says, you know what? The kingdom of heaven is going to be a little bit like that. That there is a narrow door. That there is only one way to get into God's kingdom. That a lot of people will say that they have ways or try to get in. But you know what? There will only be certain people who get in. But unlike injuring yourself at a theme park or paying extra, or having your VIP section at a club or at an event. Entering through the narrow door has nothing to do with what I can do and nothing to do with what you can do. We are not important because of ourselves. And that's exactly what Jesus says as he continues on. The narrow door is not something that we have access to because of ourselves. We only have access to it through Jesus. And so he continues on in verse 25. And he says, Once the owner of the house gets up and closes the door, you will stand outside knocking and pleading, Sir, open the door for us. But he will answer, I do not know you or where you came from. Then you will say, we ate and drank with you in our, taught in our streets. But he will reply, I do not know you or where you come from. Away from me, all evildoers. 
For there will be weeping there and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are thrown out. This is a harsh word from Jesus. A warning. Jesus is intentionally being really intense here in this section. He's saying, you know what? You think that the kingdom of God is like this? Here's what it really is. It's like a narrow door, a small entrance, a small gate that only a few people can get through. And a lot of people will think that they can get in and say, I've done this and I've done that. But the person at the door will say, I don't know you. And Jesus is being intense. He's saying, you know what? The kingdom of heaven is not going to be for everyone. It is a narrow door. It requires an important person. And I already said that we are not that important person. Because friends, Jesus didn't only talk about the kingdom. He ushered in the kingdom. Jesus showed us what the kingdom was like in the way that he lived, in the way that he loved, in the way that he interacted with others. And he became the last of all, the servant of all as he died on a cross. In my place, in your place. So that we could experience new relationship with God. And so the kingdom may not be what we want. It may not be the expected thing that we want, an earthly kingdom or a kingdom for certain people. But we definitely want to be a part of it. Jesus turns the question of, Lord, will a few people be saved? To answering it, make sure that you are saved. Make sure that you are part of the people who enter through the narrow door. Because the VIP is not us. The VIP is Jesus. Jesus is the one who opens that door and makes a way for us, our sins to be forgiven. For our lives to be renewed. For us to be ushered in as people who not only get to live in God's kingdom right now, but also get to help bring about God's kingdom as it grows from that small band of disciples into God's redemptive plan for everything. So that's what we're invited into this morning. That is what the kingdom of God means. It means that God is bringing about his redemptive plan for all, everything. That our sin has messed up not only us, our relationship with God, our relationships with each other, our relationship with creation. But God is making all things new. And so this morning, as we are in this series of prepping for the apocalypse, prepping for doomsday, prepping for God's second coming, we have to ask ourselves, are we in the kingdom? Are we among those who are saved? Have we accepted that free gift of salvation earned by Jesus on the cross through his life, his death, his resurrection? 
And if you haven't this morning, here in a few minutes, I want to walk you through a prayer to start that process and usher you in to God's kingdom to accept that gift of salvation. But for those of us who are in the kingdom, for those of us who have said yes to Jesus, who have been following Jesus, we have to ask ourselves, have we been living like we're in the kingdom? Have we been living with the urgency of making sure that everyone that we know, everyone that we care about, the people that we interact with, the people who check out our groceries, who deliver our Amazon packages, our neighbors, our friends are in the kingdom too? Because it's a narrow door. The kingdom of God may not be what we want it to be, but we definitely want to make sure that we are in it and those who we care about are in it. I love the words of Albert Schweitzer who says, there, can no be, there cannot be a kingdom of God without the kingdom of God in our hearts. That God is using us. God is sending us out as his ambassadors into the world to bring people into God's kingdom, to bring about his plan of redemption through the power of the Holy Spirit. So are you in the kingdom? Are you living like you're in the kingdom? I'll be the first to admit that I don't always live like I'm in the kingdom. With my interactions with people, my interactions with others, my thoughts in my head, the ways that I fall short, my life so often doesn't look different from anyone else's. And if we are called to be Christ's ambassadors, representatives of God's kingdom in this kingdom on earth, then we have to pray the Holy Spirit would make us more like Jesus. And this morning, if you've never accepted that free gift of salvation from Jesus, if you've never made your way through the narrow door, if this morning that the Holy Spirit is pulling on your heart and saying, I'm ready to accept that gift of salvation, if you're ready to come into God's kingdom, then there is nothing standing in your way. So if you would join me as we say these words, even if you already are a follower of Jesus, if you are part of God's kingdom, then you can read these words at home as we all gather in one voice and pray together. God, we thank you for your kingdom. We thank you that you didn't leave us in our sin, but God, you sent Jesus to be born as a baby in a manger and live the perfect life that any of us could. God, we pray that for those who are being pulled right now, who are feeling that nudge into your kingdom, that you would surround them, that you would love them, and for each one of us who maybe are in your kingdom, God, but aren't living like it, that you would motivate us, that you would show us the ways that we are limiting and misinterpreting your kingdom. God, that you would grow us and shape us through the power of the Holy Spirit. 
And God, if somebody is listening to my voice right now who has never accepted that free gift of salvation, that with people gathered all throughout this city and country and world, God, we would declare these words. Dear God, thank you for loving me. I'm a sinner and I need a savior. I repent. Forgive me. Save me. I declare that Jesus is Lord. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to follow you and serve you. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer for the first time, if you are now a part of God's kingdom, God's ambassador in the world, then if you want to go to arisedenver.com slash connect, we want to know, we want to celebrate with you, we want to get you plugged in, we want to help you live in God's kingdom. So please, please don't let these words just stay in your minds or stay in your living room or in your bed or on your couch or wherever you are. Think of the ways that you limit God's kingdom. Think of the ways that you make yourself your own authority. And think of the ways in which you can live more in God's kingdom mindset. Amen.